Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Now, turning your Bibles to uh, Psalms 112. Turning your Bibles to Psalms 112. And we're going to read um, these first six verses here in just a minute. Now, this is week three of a series we've been doing called Outlasters. Okay? And, and, and what an outlaster is, is someone who thinks beyond today. What we want to do is we want to think about our lives. So listen to me. Think about your life today. You leave here and you have an accident on the way home. I'm not going to ask you whether you're going to go to heaven or not. I I hope you know that. But what I want to ask you is what lives beyond you? What outlives your life here on earth? And that's what we've been talking about for three weeks. What are the things that are going to outlive us? And for some of us, they'll say some great things about you at your funeral. They will. My prayer is that when my daughter stands up at my funeral, she has more to say about Carl than his Frequent stops at the gas station to get wings, okay? Oh, y'all don't do that? My wife doesn't do that, okay? My wife says, Carl, you shouldn't eat that stuff. And I agree, but man, let me tell you, there's, there's a couple 7-Elevens around here that know how to do wings, okay? I'll take you. Let's pray together. Okay, now... Um, so we talked in this first week how it's the generations have kind of shifted over the years. And, and then last week we talked about financially free families. Like, I'm not saying you should leave a million dollars for your kids. No, but what I'm saying is, is that you should live. A, I've got some kids in here being like, yes, tell them that's biblical to leave me money. But you should leave a legacy. What should outlive you is your generosity, a heart of compassion. And so today we're going, we've, we, we've gone through this six verses before, but I want to read them again because today I want to talk about faith on fire. Everybody say fire. A couple weeks ago we talked about how do we instill, okay, so most in this room who have a loose connection to Christianity, okay, and, and some, some of you are younger, some of you might be older, but listen, The reason you have a loose, I'll tell you this way. My parents drug my rear end to church every Sunday, okay? If the doors were open, this meant Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday prayer meeting, 
Y'all know what that is? Y'all know what a prayer meeting is? Okay. Some of y'all don't. Prayer meeting is where you get together and you pray. It kind of sounds self-explanatory, but but I just want you to know. We had prayer meeting on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. Every time the doors were open, they dragged my butt to church. It was routine. It was ritual. And when we got home, what was communicated, one, not much was communicated to me at home. Except that if I wanted to be a Christian, I needed to check off these boxes to be a good Christian. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. And so what it created is a generation of people who were checking boxes but had no first generation faith. Here's what I mean by first generation faith. A faith that has experienced the God we talk about. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. That you can have, and what we want to outlive us is a faith that is first generation. A faith that our kids don't just talk about or don't just check off, but a faith that has been experienced on on an intimate level. And so how do we create this first generation faith? Read with me in Psalms. 112, we'll start here in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Everybody said amen. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Pay attention to this next verse. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last. How long? Forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. And those who are righteous will be long remembered. They will be long remembered. What are they being remembered for? Well, it tells us right here that they're going to be remembered in verse 4 for being generous, compassionate, righteous, godly people. But what I want to point to today is verse 2. So in verse 1 it tells us that joyful are people who fear the Lord and obey him. And what what is the byproduct of, of being joyful In fearing the Lord and obeying him. What's the byproduct? Their children will be successful everywhere. Now, we have to kind of define success. We have to define success. Now, what I'll, I'll argue with you today is that there are two ways to define success. There's a cultural way to define success for your kids. And there is a biblical way to define what success looks like. Okay, so let's start with the culture. Culture says, would say, uh, success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Now, if you're not a parent, you're like, what does this have to do with me? I'll get to you in a second. But if you're a parent, you know this pressure. Oh, your kids should be well-rounded, you know. What is that? What does that even mean? Not like this. That's not what that means. 
well-rounded, well-educated, happy. Now, even if, you're, if you don't have kids, that has been what has, has, has been weighted on you. Is that you're supposed to be well-rounded, well-educated, and happy. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew 16, 26, it says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So listen, there, there is in this world a, a thought process that um, if I can get my kids to be happy and well-rounded and well-educated, that they'll be okay. And what you have is some well-rounded, well-educated kids, happy kids, who grow up and realize life is not what was presented to them. Um, and so they'll work for things that their parents said to do and, 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 and go after. Now, listen, being well-educated is not a bad thing. In fact, I would say the Bible, uh, Paul instructed Timothy to study, right, to, to show yourself Approved, but um, what if you if if the goal is to be happy, if the goal is to be well educated, then what happens is you will find yourself amiss. Um, you will gain a whole lot here in happiness and well roundedness that will not will not live past you. You know your degree doesn't matter after the grave. Did you know that? It helps you here, but it doesn't help anybody else outside of eternity, outside of this world. And so we have a higher calling as Christians. Everybody say higher. higher. We have a higher calling as Christians. So this is how we want to define success. We are called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. I'm going to say that again, just so you make sure you get this down. We are called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. Now, this is a little different. You may end up... Now, let me tell you something. I've, I've employed all types of people over the last few years in landscaping. Okay, so I used to manage landscape companies, and I would, hi, I, I, I would have... Uh, at this last company, anywhere from 55 to 65 employees uh, at any given time. And so I was constantly hiring and firing. Now, one thing I had noticed is that most of the guys I hired, um, they, they, their center of gravity was wrong. And so every, from every which way they pivoted um, landed them in weird places. But we as Christians are called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like? Um, and so, and if you don't have kids, this is supposed to be you. Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changer. You should be. Now, for a parent, I will say this for parents in the room, okay? So, um, I have a hard enough time getting my daughter to put her shoes on the right feet. Um, so it can be intimidating to say, hey, how am I supposed to do this? How do I raise a world changer? How do I get my kids to steer this direction? Um, because for, for, 
anybody with kids, you have to plan to go anywhere. Okay, so, so I remember when I was single, I didn't have um, my wife or my kids. And if I decided I wanted to go somewhere, you know what I did? All the, all the, all the, all the people living by themselves can say, you just go. You just go. You go and do what you want. If I want to go somewhere with my wife and my child, it takes days of preparation. Yeah. Like I have to gear up beforehand to figure out all the logistics involved to get to where I need to go. So the thought that, the, the very thought of Brother, Brother Carl, I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to get my kids to graduate and get out of the house. Or Carl, I've got school and I've got work and I've got my schedule is full. How do you expect me to attain this? This higher calling that you say we're supposed to be achieving. How, how do we get there? And, and, and I want to give you three things. And, and the main picture here, here, here's how we create Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. We do that by managing exposure. Managing exposure. Because what we expose ourselves and our kids to determines who they become. You understand this, right? You understand that whether you think you're Captain Christian or not, you're being, when you're out in the world, if, if your central group of friends has non-Christian influences and things like that, you know you're be, being exposed to that, and it's influencing you. You show me your top five friends, I can show you who you're going to be in the next five years. And so we have to manage exposure. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and what? Become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You know what that says? You want to be wise, hang out with wise people. You want to you be stupid, hang around stupid people. Yeah. Anybody ended up in some really bad places because you were hanging out with stupid people? Is that okay to say in church, I'm sorry if I'm offending somebody? Um, I'll just tell you, I, I've been there. I've been there. I've ended up in places in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee, 3 a.m., thinking, how did I end up here when all I had to do was look around at these idiots I'm with? Now, that, that's one way to say it, and, and then it can be funny because I, some of you are thinking about those places right now, but hear me. If you're hanging out with people that Christ is not the center of their life, guess what? That exposure is going to pull you away from being, Christ being the center of your life. That's just it. It's natural, and anybody that's been a Christian for any length of time knows the less you hang out with Christian folks and the more you hang out with non-Christian folks, guess what? You become less and less Christian. Now, we have a calling, obviously, to reach the lost, right? 
But your top five friends should not be. So listen, we have to manage exposure, which means I'm going to have to understand that Macy, my daughter, the teenagers here, if you're a teenager in here, say whoop. <laughs> you're awake, all right. They're going, you realize that they are exposed to and you are exposed to bad attitudes in the workplace and over-sexualized culture, materialism, prejudices. And that is scary. It's scary. It's scary to even think of my daughter going into fifth grade and hanging out with a bunch of heathens. I already, look, when I go to her daycare, when I go to her daycare, she knows that if anybody's been mean to her, she can come to me and say, Daddy, these people have been mean to me. Will you take care of them? Yeah, baby. I'll take care of them. You don't worry. That old boy will disappear. I'm sorry. I shouldn't. That's not in my notes. I shouldn't have said. Now, listen. If you have... Now, we talked a couple weeks ago that everybody in here is a leader. You know that, right? You're leading someone. You're, someone's watching you. You're leading someone. You may not have kids, but at your workplace, at home, with, around your family, you're leading someone. You have influence over someone. And anybody, especially parents, know this, but others will know this too. You can't force anybody to love Jesus. As much as my heart is to see each of you experience Christ with such intimacy, I can't force you to do it. But here's what we can do. We can manage exposure. We can expose them to experiences that will increase the likelihood that they'll have spiritual growth and sense the presence of God. And actively this morning, hear me. If you're not managing the exposures in your life, they will manage you. So how do we do it? Three things. Uh, expose them. So here's, the, here's how we should expose them, manage their exposure. The first thing we should expose them to, expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. Expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life that you may know my Father. Over the years, um, and I just talked about it right up front, what was portrayed to me as the Christian life was a sheet of to-dos and not to-dos. Especially if you grew up Pentecostal. Like, I, I don't know if there's any charismatics in the room. I grew up Pentecostal, right, Church of God. And, and my mom used to tell me stories where, growing up in the Church of God, uh, which is a Pentecostal denomination, uh, she wasn't allowed to go bowling. Yeah, I know. Woody Jones is in shock. It was sinful. It was sinful, Woody Jones. Now, this was before, the, this is before Mr. Jones knew the Lord, obviously. You know? Otherwise, he would have stopped, right? Couldn't wear earrings, jewelry, couldn't wear pants, right? That's what it meant to be Christian. When I grew up, it's don't cuss, don't drink, 
Don't have sex before you're married. Um, it's all these things. Now, the difference is you can wear long pants and go to heaven. Um, the other things are sinful, right? There, there are some sinful things that can come out of drinking. Is it a sin to drink? No. Drunkenness sin? You better believe it. So listen, it was a checklist for me. And so all, because these rules were pushed on me, there was no relationship. I thought if I do this, Jesus will, I can earn enough of Jesus' head nod to get me through the gates. And what was lacking there was I was at the altar like every Sunday. Like Jesus, I done messed up 17 times since I got up this morning. Every Sunday, every Sunday, just snot and tears, and God help me. What's going on? I can't stop. And you know why? Listen, if your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning is solely a checklist, because listen, being a Christian means there is obedience to be had. But rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Hear that again. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And so what this generation is rejecting is not Jesus. You know what they're rejecting? Hypocrisy. Because a whole generation made a bunch of rules that made, this is Christianity, the rules. And they, they realize the hypocrisy. Well, my parents don't even do that. So I want no parts of it. What they're warring against is not the Christ what they're warring against is hypocrisy. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. So, so how do we expose them to the joy of knowing the Lord? Here's how we try to do it at home. We try to point everything towards, man, look, how, look what God has blessed us with. Look how God has blessed us. Look at how God has worked in this situation. We point everything towards a direct connection with God in the good and the bad in the good and the bad now you can't have a relationship without time and conversation you know what that means you can't have a relationship with God if you're not praying with him and reading his word right um, so so this is what prayer looks like at our house currently now because um, because if you're a parent in here, trying to figure out how to have a prayer meeting at your house can be difficult. Especially for us and having a four-year-old. Um, so what I'm about to portray is not that my four-year-old is on her knees in the floor interceding for world leaders. <laughs> no. But here's what we do. If someone is sick in our house, we pray. If uh, Kirsten's back's been hurting, so if Kirsten, because she's pregnant and it affects everything, evidently. <laughs> I didn't even think that was a joke. I just, I'm just kind of venting to you. I'm sorry. 
So if Kirsten's hurting, we say, Macy, let's go pray for mommy's back. If, amb- if we hear an ambulance, hey, let's pray for whoever that is. And every night, we, we sure, there's some routine there. We do pray at night before she goes to bed. But listen, in order to make it a relationship and not a rule, that we, we, don't, we make it real fluid. And we make sure she knows that Christ-centered means that our default is God. Our default is to go to him. And so my prayer is that when she's a teenager and she's screwed up, inevitably, that she doesn't run to her own thoughts. What? It, it says, lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. That we acknowledge God. So just make it culture. It's, it's, it's culture in our house. We, we read the Bible. We, to, to make faith real, I can't wait till the day that Macy flips open her Bible and she's reading because that's just the culture that we live out. And she reads a verse and it speaks to her heart about her current situation. And all of a sudden she has a first generation faith. That she prayed and God did something. Now, she has said a few prayers recently where she's gone above my head. Instead of asking me for things, she's like, God, we need a, a, a horse. <laughs> so help me if a horse ends up at my house. <laughs> I'll praise God for her first generation faith. And then I'll be asking God for hay and money. Expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. Number two, expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. Ha! Listen, when you miss church, you miss a lot. You know that? When you miss church, you miss a lot. Last, every time I come here, there's some interaction I have that builds my faith. There's some conversation that's had where, where it's just obvious that God's been at work. Let me tell you a story, a, a faith-building story where I was considering not going somewhere, church. I was considering not going to church, and God spoke. Um, you guys raised 65. Appalachian backpacks. Did you know that? 65 backpacks. Yeah. That are going to go to kids and families who are in need. Now, I was supposed to take these backpacks to Roanoke. Okay? Take them to Roanoke to the Southern Baptist homecoming that was up there. And a meeting... That I had scheduled, anybody schedule a meeting you didn't know you had and then it came up and then you were like, oh, I scheduled that myself. Oh, okay, well, it happens to me all the time. And so I had a meeting and so instead of going up sat, uh, Sunday night, I had to stay. And then I got up Monday and it was just one thing after another. I could not seem to get out of here to go to Roanoke. And so I was thinking, man, I'm just going to have to figure out something to do with these backpacks. I'm not going to be able to get there. Well, about 2, 3 o'clock, I said, I, I just felt, I just had to go. I had to get these backpacks up there. I drive 
three hours to Roanoke. I get to the, the homecoming service, the, the church service where they're collecting them. And um, I'm like, hey, I've got backpacks. I've got 65 backpacks. Um, where do I put them? And they said, man, the backpack trailer's already gone. It's not here. I said, I've been driving for three hours. You better find that trailer. <laughs> and I may lose my job if I come back to the church with these 65 backpacks. No, it's gone. Gone. I, I was defeated. I was like, man, this is... Why would I have come all the way here? Now the, the backpack trailer's gone. I've got 65 backpacks I'm going to have to hide for a whole year <laughs> till we take them again. My wife's going to hate this in the dining room because that's where you hide everything because nobody eats in there. Anyway. So I was going to turn around and go home. I had planned on staying for the service, but I, I just decided I, I just turn around and go home. Well, I found out some people were going to be there that I wanted to see, and I wanted to take part in the service. I just felt like I should stay. So I stayed for the service, phenomenal service. In the middle of the service, I happened to message a guy. I had messaged the guy earlier about, hey, where can I take these backpacks? He had never gotten back to me. He gets back to me and says, text this number, text this person. I was like, man, this person sounds really familiar. Text this number. It happens to be someone Kirsten used to work with at, at her current job. Only worked with her for like six months before she left. This woman texted me back and, and I said, hey, I've got 65 backpacks. And she said, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. Please tell me there's a way I can get rid of these backpacks. And she said, come find me after service. And so I find her after service talking to a guy named Billy. And Billy um, is church planting in Saltville. Anybody know where Saltville is? He's church planting in Saltville. And he's been working to get in a high school there in Saltville. No Christ in this high school. None at all. They are totally adverse to Christian influence inside the high school. Okay? Billy is working and got them to agree that he could put Bibles in these backpacks and take them to the school. Groundbreaking. Literally, 20 minutes earlier, during that same service, Sarah, the lady I was working with, had texted Billy and said, Billy, we don't have enough backpacks. We don't have enough. We're going to have to cut off this high school. We're not going to be able to do it. And he said, well, I'll pray about it. She said, about 30 seconds later, my text came into her phone. And I met them out back, and we loaded 65 backpacks into a random trailer and provided these backpacks to a school, high school in Saltville that would not have known or had any Christian influence whatsoever because of your 65 backpacks. We said, they, they said it was a game changer for them. And if I had listened to my own flesh, I wouldn't have been at church. Yeah, that's good. So when you miss church, you miss a lot. And one of the questions, one of the questions we never asked growing up is should we go to church? We never asked that question. We never even thought to utter it. 
um, should we go to church? Um, and, and look, I, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings this morning or, or rub with you. But listen, many of us will lay in bed and say, golly, it's raining. I'll probably just stay home today. There's a really good game coming on. I've got dinner. I've got lots of things. I tell you, it's Mother's Day. I need to get across town. So we'll just. We never asked the question, should we go to church growing up? And honestly, in our house, it's not a question. Not just because we're on staff, but because my daughter is knocking down the door. Hey, can we get to church? Can we get to church? And what we, let me tell you what we create. When we expose kids to this type of mentality, there are so many other things in life that are not optional. School isn't optional. No, you get your butt up and you get in the, you've got to make the bus. And if you don't, figure it out. You're going to have to get to school. Work isn't optional. Dance isn't optional. Macy, we, we registered her for dance, and then all of a sudden, halfway through, she's like, no, I don't want to go to dance. I'm like, oh, you're going to go to dance. You know how much money I've spent? You better get a scholarship from this. It's not optional. But yet, we'll, create, we'll make church optional. We'll make church optional. And so all of a sudden, we want to get frustrated with our teenagers and this generation because they think church is optional when that's all we've lived out for them. I'm so thankful today that my child has experienced the presence and power of God here through you and your service and loving on her and loving on us. Listen. When you miss church, you miss a lot. And the whole reason we're here, and please don't miss this, the whole reason you're here is to experience the presence and power of God. You need it. There are a lot of things in life that you can get by without. God is not one of them. And he should not be optional if you're a Christian anyway. Our life should revolve around God's work in the church. And listen, I'm not asking you to just go to church. I'm asking you to be the church. Their children will be successful. Listen, if these things outlive you, it is passing on to the next generation nothing but success. Number three. Listen, there's something special about this place. To be able to come here and worship God and leave here. And all of a sudden, my, my situation hasn't changed all that much, but my heart feels different. What do you think that is? That's God. That's God. Number three. So we're going to expose them to the joy of knowing God Personally, we're going to expose them to the presence and power of God in His church. And lastly, we're going to expose them to the thrill of being used by God. So, if you're wanting to create a first generation faith in your household or for you personally, these are the things you need to be exposing yourself to. And what I want to do is create opportunities for Macy 
for the teenagers here, for you to experience the thrill of being used by God. The faith. Now listen, you might think the win from those backpacks was getting into the school. Let me tell you some of the wins that you might miss. After we loaded those backpacks in, we prayed together. I huddled up with a guy named Don Kasky, a regional guy with the SBCV, Sarah, and Billy. Billy, this church planner. And all of a sudden, his faith was renewed. Have you ever been in a place where you just doubt God? You're like, maybe that's just me. But I have stood in the midst of just waiting in in, in junk up to here and said, man, maybe God isn't who he says he is. And then all of a sudden, he uses me. And there's like this new birth of fire within, knowing that God is real. If you've come here today questioning and wondering, is God real? Let me tell you, he is as real as the pew you are sitting on. There is no greater high than making a difference in the name of Jesus. I wish I could bring up here and, um, some testimonies of people who have served in our food pantry. Who have fed families who without wouldn't have anything. If it hadn't been for the food pantry, they wouldn't have any dinner. I, I, I want to hopefully bring in some of the people we're giving Thanksgiving baskets to. And, and what you get to experience when you serve God in this way, you get to experience God himself. I am a huge advocate for serving in the church for, for many reasons, but the, the most major of them being that you get to experience God in a way you don't get to experience him when you're just sitting on the couch, sitting on the bench. Do you realize that God is using you to encourage people? The song comes to mind. Ah, man, it's old. I don't know if y'all know this one. Uh, who sang this song? I think it was Ray Bolts. Anybody remember Ray Bolts? Oh, yeah. Ray Bolts sings this song. It says, uh, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. My daughter, and I know I bring her up. I only have one currently. Another one uh, will be in our possession uh, in February. Well, it's in my wife's possession, but... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Uh, she's all, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, you get it. And her, Macy's teacher came to us one time and she said, uh, I've got to tell you about a conversation that uh, 
Macy was having with one of the other kids in town. This was right around Easter. And she evidently, Macy has seen people serving and being used by God. She's seen it. She's witnessed it with her eyes. She's been to church and experienced the presence and power of God. She may not be able to recognize what that is, but I, I, it just rings in my head as I, as I stand here. My daughter um, evidently has been witnessing to her friends in class about Jesus And it's because she has witnessed his presence. <clears throat> before, before I got married and had daughters, I never cried. And then all of a sudden, it's like freaking waterworks up here. I can't, I can't put a finger on that. But I, I can put a finger on this. There's no deeper desire that I have for my daughter, my wife, but also for you, that you would have a faith that's first generation. It's not a faith that just talked about or, I don't know, just something you claim but don't live. I'm talking about a faith that has experienced the power and the presence of God such a way that it's you don't just know God's real because you go to church or because someone's told you you know God's real because of what he did right here and there are so many things that we could choose to focus on to outlive us there's so many things but listen each of you are sitting here today because someone wanted something to outlive them that wasn't just tangible but it was intangible it was Christ. And what's crazy is that of the millions and millions of Christians across the world, it started with 12 that had a first generation intimacy with the Lord. And what outlived them to this very day. Now think about this. In your own circles, what is going to outlive you? What are you exposing yourself to? What are you exposing your kids to? my prayer as they get ready to sing and kind of lead us in worship as we get ready to go is that you would, every head bowed, every eye closed, that you would begin to ask God to expose in you, that you would pray the prayer David prayed, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.